This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. How you guys doing? Everybody good? Everybody fine? Wow, you guys are looking good out there. Man, it's been a while since I've been up here. I was telling somebody this morning, man... You know, I probably preach once a quarter now. I don't know what Aaron's doing to me, but I don't get up here. She's like, well, you just preached two weeks ago. Mistaking me for Wayne. Can you believe that? <laughs> it's like, it's like seriously, I don't look like Wayne, you know what I mean? But, you know, it's all good. But if you don't know who I am, my name is Pastor Wes, and I'm one of six elders here at this church. And uh, I love being here. I love teaching. I love preaching. I love doing all those things. But my primary function as a pastor here at this church is doing local outreach. Uh, and soon I'm going to be doing the global aspect of things, but right now Josh Daly handles that, but he's teaching me, so I'm in the learning process of the global outreach. But right now I'm doing the local stuff, and two weeks ago we had our Ball Up Alhambra tournament yeah. in block party. You know what I'm saying? Oh, that was so cool. And I just want to thank all the volunteers that helped me out. There's no way I could have done it without you guys. And Ken has been bugging me, like, when are you going to give him your gift that you said you were going to give him? So that's coming. Don't worry. So all the vo- ones that helped me out, I do have something kind of cool for you guys to have all right and we raised enough money with this tournament to get our stove and oven fixed in our kitchen right 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 and we also have a commercial freezer now in our kitchen you know what I'm saying so I mean through your guys's hard work and, and volunteering and helping and all that stuff God has definitely blessed us and I just love it and it's so cool because now when we do dinner with the city we can actually cook here on site, store the food here, and do all that stuff, and we can help those that may want a home-cooked meal, conversation, and we can build a new relationship with our city around us, right? So that's just wonderful. And if you're just joining us, what we decided to do here at Redemption, not just here at Alhambra, but Redemption at large, there's nine of us, there's nine congregations, and pretty soon in September, there's going to be ten. You know what I'm saying? Redemption Scottsdale up on the scene. So that's going to happen in September. Uh, But what we decided to do was spend a year and some change going through the book of Mark. All right. So we've been going through the book of Mark and we're in Mark chapter five, Mark chapter five, verse one through 20. Now, remember, as we're going through this book of Mark, we're not uh, expositorily breaking down each verse, verse by verse by verse by verse and breaking it down. But what we decided to do is to take this in narrative form. And kind of keep it in a story, right? We're going to keep it in a story mode. But one thing that I love is, you know, loving the scriptures and being honest with the text. What we're doing is we're keeping, even though we're keeping it in story form, we're keeping things in its proper context, right? So what we do is we read these huge amounts of passages for you, but we may zero in on one passage or a key passage that we think is key or that the Spirit spoke to us. But at least you guys can be good Bereans, go home, study to show yourselves approved and be like, all right, so yeah, okay, he's covered this part of the passage, but he kept it in the context of all this, so you guys can do that, because that's how you guys are, right? You get your study on, you take it home, you make sure that that we're not up here just saying things on our own merit, that we actually do things, you know, according to Scripture. But before we get into Mark, what I want to do is give a little background, and so so that we don't lose focus of why Mark wrote this gospel, okay? You got to understand that at this time, Rome was a world powerhouse. Rome. Rome was just handling business. Rome was doing its thing. Everything led to Rome. All streets lead to Rome. That's what was going on here. I remember reading about the life of Nero when he first became emperor of Rome. 
all right? He did so many wonderful things for his people when he was first emperor of Rome. He would honor his mother in this way. He would have these huge parades, right, where they would go around and, like, on horseback, and he would be with his mom. So everyone would be praising him and, like, oh, man, this dude is a family man. He's with his mom. They're doing their thing. And it's like, oh, Nero's such a cool dude. So he did that. He would honor his mother that way. He would even give money back to the people, to the citizens of Rome. He'd hook them up. Like, hey, man, I heard you broke. Need a little money? He'd hook them up. I remember, I remember when my wife and I first got married 13 years ago. Yeah. I know I barely look like I'm 15, but 13 years ago when we first got married, I was going to Glendale Community College. And it was a rough time in our lives. We had J.D. J.D. was just a little baby. I was going to Glendale Community College. We were just straight up broke. I mean, just straight up broke, okay? And going here, and I was just, like, stressing and tripping. And then out of nowhere, George W. Bush sends me a check in the mail. I'm like, say what? $625? I was like, dang, $625. Well, how do you think that made me feel? You know what I mean? It was like. I don't know, because I wasn't political at the time. I didn't know why I received the money, but all I know is I needed it, right? So when it came to me, it was like, wow, thank you, George W. You know what I mean? Now I can actually breathe. So it did something to my relationship with the Bush administration. So <laughs> I'm still kind of struggling with it, but it did something with it. You know what I mean? So I can, only, I can only imagine what was happening with the citizens of Rome while Nero was giving them back money. You know what I mean? Like, oh, Nero, this is such a cool dude. Now, I'm not trying to compare George W. Bush with Nero. Don't take it that far. That's not what I'm doing. I'm trying to compare the relationship that I had with them when they would receive money from the government. So all was well at Rome at this time. Do you know that Nero was the first one to implement an annual salary for people? Like, if you were part of his court, if you were part of his, like, his legal team or, like, his senators and all that stuff, he hooked you up. You got money. You got paid. And not only did you get an annual salary, guess what else you got? a monthly food stipend. So now you can eat good, and you paid, so you're feeling good. And so all was well in Rome. Rome was booming. Everything was happening good. The economy was flowing. The food markets were packed. Why? Because people actually had product, and they had money to buy the products in the food, ma in the, in the food market. So it was really cool. Entertainment was huge in Rome. Entertainment, because they weren't worried about war and all this stuff. They were like, how do we keep ourselves entertained? So entertainment was huge. So Nero, he loved the circus. He loved the theater, and he loved sports. He loved those things. So what he decided to do was form his own Olympics. Guess what it was called? The Neronia. <laughs> Crazy, right? The Neronia is what it was called. And what happened was every five years, he would have these uh, competitive music events. Uh, he had this competitive uh, gymnastics and competitive riding. And you thought, like, American Idol and America's Got Talent was original, didn't you? No, we jacked that from Britain, right? But now we know that Britain got that junk from Nero, right? So all these reality shows and all that stuff, we could thank Nero for all that stuff because that's where it really came from. But all this stuff was happening at a time where deifying people was in. That was commonplace. Like, so, so because uh, Nero was doing so good, it wasn't uncommon for people to be like, he must be the son of, a go of the gods. Yeah. This guy was sent to us from the gods. He has to be a son of the gods because look what's happening. And so it didn't take long for that to start creeping into Nero's spirit and into his soul, right? And corruption started reaching the footsteps of Nero's door. And so here it comes, the corruption through his chief advisor. His name was Seneca. And Seneca wanted to corrupt Nero to, to show Nero what a better Rome would look like. I mean, all was well in Rome. Everybody was happy and chilling. But Seneca's like, let me show you what a better Rome looks like where all the nations fear us, where the people respect you and bow down to you. And so he started poisoning Nero's mind of what a better Rome would look like. 
And so Nero started not to trust everybody around him. His mother, who he used to take on parades, he thought that she was plotting against him. So guess what happened? He had her killed. He had her killed because the corruption that entered into him. And, and if people didn't recognize him being sent from the gods, not only Christians, but he had them persecuted too because they wouldn't recognize that he was sent from the gods. But even just common people, if they didn't want to bow down and worship him, he'd have them persecuted or killed. So now you can see the citizens of Rome, they were starting to get tired of this tyrant Nero because he was so corrupted by Seneca. And so what happened with this is it was at this moment, at this time, where, all, where like almost forced worship was happening, that Mark wrote the gospel of Mark. Isn't it crazy? And, and Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark. And this is how he started. So, so the Gospel of Mark in some ways is like a polemic against uh, Nero's claim to be the son of the gods. It's like an argument against it. So you can read the Gospel of Mark in that vein. Because Mark drove this claiming stake in the ground with the first sentence of his Gospel. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. What does he say? He says, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Isn't it crazy? Not Nero, suckers. Jesus, the Son of God. So throughout this entire book, we see Mark carrying this claim. He's carrying this theme that Jesus is the Son of God. And today we're going to read in Mark chapter 5, verse 1 through 20, that once again, Mark is going to make sure that his audience knows that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. So that's where we're at right now. Can you see my face with it? Okay. All right. The reason I don't have the pulpit up here is because it's too high, and I love using my laptop, and Aaron's like, sucker, you got to do some changes. <laughs> so either get rid of the pulpit or use paper. So I got rid of the pulpit. So, But last week, Pastor Aaron, what did he do? He preached an outstanding message on Mark chapter 4, right? And if you weren't here last week, please go back and listen to the podcast because it was such a wonderful message. He taught about how when the disciples got into the boat, and then they crossed the sea, and then this huge storm hits. You guys remember that? And now today, what we're going to do is we're going to see what happened the moment they touched down on the other side, all right, on the other side. So while I was going through this passage, there were three sort of behaviors that I picked out, three sort of dispositions in three different beings that I, that I kind of picked out. And the first is this, the thing about us, us, us as a people. And today we're going to see just how lost we are as a people when we don't have Jesus. We're going to see. Just how lost we are. It's interesting because we can easily deceive ourselves, right? We can deceive ourselves and think that we have a hold on life without Jesus. But you got to understand, Jesus is life. And Jesus is the giver of life. So for us to say we have a hold on life without Jesus is pretty ridiculous, right? And we're going to learn a little bit about that later. And the second thing is the thing about Satan. The thing about Satan, understanding that we have an enemy, we have an enemy, and we have to understand how he, how he operates. The reason we have to understand how he operates is because that's essential to the preservation of our salvation. It's, 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 uh, it's true that when God saves us, he keeps us saved, right? When he saves us, he holds on to us. He keeps us saved. But God uses natural means to keep us saved. It isn't this hocus-pocus magical thing. God uses things. And one of the things that he uses is us understanding who our enemy is and how he operates. Because when we understand who our enemy is and how he operates, that age-old question of why is evil in the world is answered. It's answered. Why is there, if God is such a good God, why is there evil in the world? Because I understand how Satan operates. He sustains a level of evilness in this world. Why? Because he's the prince of the air. Key to the preservation of our salvation, right? A lot of people claiming to be Christians, then they get stuck by that. Oh, my gosh, but God is so good. Why is there evil? Because they haven't understood the enemy. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later as well. And the third thing is this, the thing about Jesus. Now, it's kind of tricky because knowing Jesus and experiencing salvation 
Those are two totally different things. Two totally different things. I mean, there's probably some people in this room, you guys know all about Jesus. Yeah, I know who Jesus is. I mean, you know that, that like what Wayne was talking about, Jesus is the doorway. Jesus is the way to the Father. Okay, yeah, I know that Jesus is the way to salvation. I know that, all right. But however, you have no faith in Jesus. So you know about him, but you have no faith. You might be sitting here like, well, you know what? I'm just not old enough yet. Christianity, that's for old people. I'm going I'm to I'm do my thing right now, and when I get older, then you see, because I know Jesus, and then I'll get, you know, I'll get with Jesus. So that's how some of you are. Or some of you are like, you know, uh, uh, I forget that point. So in essence, <laughs> the work of Christ is important enough for some people, but it's not important enough for them to grab a hold to and bring into their lives. So we know that. So it's important to you, just not important enough for you. And we're going to go over that a, a little bit later as I unpack the work of Jesus. Okay, so if you do have your Bibles, please open them up to Mark chapter 5, verse 1 through 20. And if you're not there yet, shame on you. I've said that passage like 8 million times. 8 million times. I said Mark chapter 5, verse 1 through 20. I was trying to do some kind of thing to get into your brains. But if you're now turning to that like Pastor Aaron's just now turning to it, I'm so, it's like, come on, man. Come on, you already there? All right. So stand with me, please, as we honor the reading of God's word. Mark chapter 5, verse 1 through 20. And this is how it reads. It says, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with the chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran over and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice he said what have you to do with me Jesus son of the most high God I adjure you by God do not torment me for Jesus was saying to him come out of this man you unclean spirit and Jesus asked him what is your name and the spirit replied my name is Legion for we are many and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country now a great herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside and they begged him saying send us to the pigs let us enter them so Jesus gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned in the sea the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country and people came to see what it was that had happened and they came to Jesus and saw the demon possessed man the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. So as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. He did not permit him, but said, go home to your friends, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in all of Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Let's pray, guys. Let's pray. Father, you are so, you're so good to us. I thank you for who you are. You are a good, good, good father. You're gracious. You're gracious in the fact that you cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. When we are yours, we're, we're yours forever, God. And although we stumble in this walk and we fall short daily, you never let us go. You always hold on to us. Nothing will ever have the power to take us out of your hands. And I thank you for that. I thank you, Father, for defeating darkness. Thank you for defeating our foe, which is Satan. And thank you for defeating our greatest foe, which is ourselves being trapped in the bondage of sin. Thank you.
for your work. Thank you for sending your son. May salvation reign today, and may hearts be transformed forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys may be seated. No, it's wild because Pastor Aaron preached last week that sermon, right, about uh, Jesus and his disciples crossing over the sea and, and touching down in the garrisons, right? He preached about that. And before I go any further, I just want to thank God for Pastor Aaron because ever since this sermon or this sermon series has started or has hit, dude, you have been killing it up here. You have been wrecking it up here. And I just, I thank God that, that, that you stuck with the convictions of your heart. No matter how hard it was, no matter how hard it is to tell people that you love what they're doing wrong and things like that. So I just thank God because I've been challenged, I've been growing, and I've been changed through your preaching by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I thank you for that. So last week he did preach about how Jesus and his disciples got into the boat and went across the sea. However, when they got halfway across, what happened? A great storm hit, right? So, so then I got to, I got to witness through, through his preaching how faith has shifted. Faith shifted from the natural to the supernatural at this time, which was pretty cool. From the natural, because when they got into the boat, they're like, okay, this is the boat. Okay, the boat can float. So they had that faith in the natural, right? Okay, here's the water. The boat can float on water. So now here we're going across the water. So they had faith in the natural. I can imagine them going across the thing, playing cards. Probably this game that I love called 13. You guys don't know nothing about that. But, <laughs> but I can imagine them doing that, playing cards and just kicking it. And, all of, and then all of a sudden, boom, the storm hits, right? So all of, all of a sudden they're like, oh, man, our faith. Where's our faith in all this natural stuff that's happening? And then Jesus gets up and like, hey, why y'all suckers tripping? Peace be still. Storm stop. You know what I mean? And so now they're like, dang. So their faith shifted from all this natural stuff to, dang, this dude can calm down the winds and the storms. So it shifted from the natural to the supernatural. Can you imagine? I mean, I, it's just crazy. So when that happens, look what happens after that as soon as they touch down in the garrisons. What happens is they touch down here, and now some crazy dude is running at them cutting himself and screaming. So I can't even imagine what in the world is going on through the disciples' minds now. They just, they're just getting tested left and right, nonstop. Anyone in here ever watched that show, The Deadliest Catch? Anybody watch that? Yeah, that's my, that's my show. That's what I'm talking about. Or Wicked Tuna, one of those shows. But I love that show, The Deadliest Catch. And here's just a little something about me that you may not know. Every time I watch the show, The Deadliest Catch, I always have to eat something. I don't know why, but something, I always have to, I have to eat something. I hear their theme song, it's Wanted, Dead or Alive. Wanted, Dead or Alive. Is that, so every time I hear that and I see the boat, it's like, mm, mm, mm. And my, my go-to meal is ramen noodles with a whole bunch of hot sauce. So I have to do that. It's like, okay, I got to eat that. You know what I mean? And there's there this one time, uh, um, like a couple of months ago, where I was watching like three episodes back to back to back, you know. So I was watching three episodes, and then Lynn decided she was going to take our kids and my mother-in-law out. And I didn't know until I opened up the fridge that she had this big old bag of imitation crab. And on the deadliest catch, that's what they catch. They catch crab. So could you imagine the joy <laughs> that went on in my mind as I was like, wow. As the saliva started to build, I got a big old tube of butter, a whole bunch of salt and pepper. I got that big old bag of imitation crab. I sat down and I watched all three episodes. <laughs> getting busy with it. You know what I mean? And, uh... <laughs> And then last week, or yeah, last week during Mother's Day, we went to our favorite restaurant. It's called Pacific Seafood, and we go to the one on Bell. And now that I have seven people in my family, it's getting really expensive. So y'all got to start paying a brother so I can continue to celebrate Mother's Day. You know what I mean? But anyway, <laughs> anyway, so we went there, right? We went there, and it was the seafood buffet. So you know what I did? I'm watching The Deadliest Catch. It's like, wow, they have crab legs here. So three plates, I mean stacked 
full of crab legs. I tore them things up. I thought I was on the Deadliest Catch show. I thought I was part of it. I thought I could relate to it. I ate three big old plates of crab legs. And then after that, I ate the regular seafood that they had there, two plates of the regular seafood. Now, before you start judging me and like, oh, you glutton, in that sin? I did not eat ice cream afterwards. I had room in my belly for it, too. I could have eaten ice cream if I really wanted to. Lynn ate ice cream. Her mother-in-law ate ice cream. But I did not. I did not eat ice cream, all right? So anyways, I don't know what that has to do with anything. But on that show, The Deadliest Catch, okay, they say they get caught up in these typhoons. And right now in this season, they're caught up in Typhoon Nuri. And what happens is, is these, ty- these typhoons hit and waves come up that are about 20 to 40 feet high. These 20 to 40 feet, and then they just come crashing down on the boat. All right, and now I can only imagine when I read Mark chapter 4 and when Pastor Aaron was preaching about it, I can, I can only imagine those are the types of waves that were smacking these guys in the sea. All right, and they don't have these high-tech boats like I'm seeing on Deadliest Catch. They have these little wooden boats that probably could not sustain those typhoons. And so these big waves come crashing down, so now it all makes sense because I was judging them last week just like probably many of you, like, oh, how could they be like, oh, you're going to just let us die, you don't care for us. Man, they just saw Jesus do all these miracles. But when you have that raggedy boat and these big old waves crashing down on you, you're like, save me. Do you care about me? So I understand now why they did that. And so they had to go through that. So they had to cross the Bering Sea. They had to go through all that just to show up and have this cray-cray buff dude running at them, screaming and cutting himself. You guys see where we're at now? Following Jesus has to be interesting, doesn't it? Just has to be interesting. When we look at this Demon-possessed man in the mountains, when I looked at it, when I read it, I could not help but to see myself in him. It's crazy. I know. I know. It's wild. And I couldn't help but to uh, get some faces in our congregation and see us in him as well. You see, the thing about us, people, is we always have this plan of attack. Christian or not, it doesn't matter, saved or not, we always have this plan of attack. We lack proper humility to go to the foot of Jesus, and we think that we can lock up our addictions ourselves, don't we? Have this plan of attack. We have programs that we chain ourselves to. We have willpower that we link ourselves to. I know I could do this. I know I could do this. I just got to cut it out. I know I could do this. Come on, you're better than this. You're better than this. That's the same thing that these townspeople did with this guy. They did that with him. They placed chains on him. Look at verse 4. It says, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but... He rinsed them apart. He rinsed the chains apart. I mean, there was a time in this man's life where chains were enough to keep him cool. It was enough to keep him cool. Like, oh, we're just going to chain him up. Oh, he tripping again? We just chain him up. He'd be cool. But then all of a sudden, there's this darkness in him that grew stronger and stronger as the days pass. And then the chains weren't enough, were they? Chains wasn't enough to keep him. See, the thing about us is we even take it a step further than the chains, right? Okay, the chains aren't working, so we get these other barriers. Let's shackle ourselves up. And we shackle two ways. We get like this with a little chain in there, or we shackle ourselves up to like this big old wall, and now we're hanging with the shackles, you know what I mean? So we shackle ourselves up. And I got a mental image in my head because there are four guys that uh, use me as their accountability partner when it comes to pornography. So they use me as that accountability partner. And what they have decided to do was go on this website. I can't remember the name of the website, but what it does is it kicks over an email to me, and it says, this person has not been looking at porn. They have not been looking at any questionable sites. And so as they made me their accountability partner, and sent, and I kept getting these for months on end, months on end, I kept getting these. They have not been doing this. They have not been. I'm, like, getting happy inside. I'm like, yes, they're succeeding. I know how big the struggle is. So I decided to call one of the guys and was like, look, dude, I'm so proud of you. 
I can't believe, I know how big of a struggle this was for you, but you are like overcoming this by the power of God. And the dude was like, look, Russ, Pastor Russ, shut up. Shut up, because that ain't me. That ain't me. You, you got to understand that this thing doesn't account for your guest accounts on, on your computer, and it doesn't account for your cell phone. And he said that my cell phone is my enemy. It's the worst thing. He's, and he said, like, he said, so stop giving me praise. And so what I found out right there is that shackle was just broken. It didn't keep him down. That darkness was in these people so much that there was an appearance as if they were doing all right. But, man, those shackles were broken, and the darkness was in them. And uh, there were a few ladies that would call my wife, right, especially married women, that would call my wife and be like, look, I'm struggling with my husband. I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And they had no signs of repentance in them. No signs of repentance. But because they told my wife, they kind of stopped their behavior for a while. So my wife became their shackle for a minute there. So they kind of stopped their behaviors, but then it only took like two months for, for that darkness or whatever it is in them to grow to where they're like, I don't care what Lynn says. I'm about to do what I do. And so that, so my, so my wife's shackles were broken uh, uh, from those people as well. And if you look in verse 4, it says, For he had often been with shackles and chains, but he rinsed the chains apart, and he broke the shackles into pieces. So you got to understand this, that chains and shackles were never enough to stop this guy from doing what he was going to do, right? The darkness overgrew stronger than the methods used to subdue it. You guys see that there? There was nothing that the townspeople could do to stop him. No chains, no shackles, no morals could stop him. This man, nothing could stop this man from tormenting himself and from tormenting those around him. Nothing. It's funny that sin doesn't just stay at home, does it? It affects all those around it. Notice how bad the darkness in this man was. It had him screaming night and day among the tombs and on the mountains. That's how bad the darkness was. So not only was this guy crazy, but he was in incredible shape. I mean, he's running around the tombs and going up and down mountains. So this guy was crazy, and he was buffing in shape. It's wild to me. It's wild. And what would we do here in America if we saw this guy? Instead of leading him to Jesus, what we'd, we, 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 we would throw that fool in the octagon. We'd try to make some money. You need to go in UFC. This dude is cool. He's crazy, and he's in shape. He need to go in UFC. Forgive us, God, because that's what we do over here in America. Forgive us. Help us, Lord. Help us. But that had to have been the worst, right? This dude was crazy and in incredible shape. It's wild. So the darkness in his life had him crying out and cutting himself. Now, I know a few girls that would silently cut themselves. They had darkness in them. They'd silently cut themselves, and they wore long sleeves to hide it. I know one guy. I don't know very many guys, but I do know one that would do that silently. So I wonder how bad the darkness has to be in someone to where they don't care. They're not silently doing it, but they're screaming out. I don't care. I'm cutting myself. Oh, how that had to affect the whole town around them. And I want you guys to get off of the natural for a minute because I believe that this pain that this guy was feeling is not foreign to any of us in this room. In a spiritual state, if you are not alive in Christ, trust me, what you're doing is you're cutting yourself and you're yelling death from the mountaintops. That's what your life is screaming. So it's not foreign to us. Verse 7 through 13 is an indicator of why this man was the way that he was. You see, the thing about Satan is he will use people to advance his agenda. He was using this man to terrify an entire town, an entire country. I mean, Satan was putting so much work in through this man that he had other demonic or minions come in and join him. Like, look, 
we're getting busy over here. Y'all come join me. Let's get into this man and let's do some work. Look at verse 9 when Jesus asked the demoniac what his name was. And he answered, I am legion for we are many. That's in verse 9. That's wild to me. You see, the thing about Satan is he knows who Jesus is too. He knows who Jesus is. As soon as Jesus and the disciples touched down on the other side, right, of the sea, this man came running at them. He came running and he bowed down at Jesus screaming and yelling. But what, would he, what was he saying? Verse 7 tells us exactly what he said. He said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. And here is Mark doing what Mark does best, making sure that all of us, his readers, are aware that Jesus, and not Nero, is the son of God. It's right there. It's right there. I find it interesting that the demons always know just who Jesus is. But unfortunately, people, we wrestle with it. All the time. All the time. See, the thing about Satan is he's organized and he's strong. The name of the demon was Legion. I did a study on what Legion meant in Rome. And I found out that it was the most powerful organized sector of the Roman army. All right? They were well trained. If you were part of the Legion in Rome, that means that from birth you were trained for combat. You were trained for war. You were trained to complete the mission no matter the cost. So here you have Satan telling Jesus that he is legion. Look at what this poor man amongst the tomb was up against. <laughs> Look what many of us are up against, and we think these little chains and shackles will subdue this type of darkness in us. The thing about Satan and his minions is they are completely loyal and they're unified. Look at how Satan describes who he is. Uh, who it is that possesses this man. He said, my name is Legion, for we, for there are many of us. Satan used the word my, although there were many, indicating that they were unified. They were unified enough that when you've seen one of them, you've seen them all. That's how unified they were. Oh, church, how do we even begin to combat Satan when there's no unity in our body? None. There's a lot of hatred, I'll tell you that. The only way that we can combat Satan, well, actually, there is no way. That's why I praise God that we're not the ones fighting. You see, the thing about Jesus is one way or another, all creation will be confronted by him. Whether it be his restoration of the entire earth or the redemption of people, or the eternal punishment of mankind, there will come a day where everything will glorify Jesus, who is the Son of God. There will come a day where every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess. What will they confess? That Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The question then that I pose is, what will be your disposition when this happens? What would be your behavior? What would be how you feel? What would be your posture? Would it be that of relief and great joy as your eyes are finally able to behold him, behold Jesus, the one who is trustworthy and true? Or will your posture be that of regret? Because you finally realize who Jesus is, but it's too late. You see, the thing about Jesus is every person will be drawn to him. However, there's this thing called faith that will draw some of his people in him. So yes, eventually all people will be drawn to him, but faith is the only means to be in him. So faith is the only means to be saved from the wrath of God, saved from sin and death, and saved 
from hell. The thing about Jesus is he has the power to forever break the chains. Not only will he break our chains, but then he will link us to his love. (laughs) And in his love is where grace, mercy, and forgiveness find their home. You see, the thing about Jesus is he has the power to forever break our shackles that we placed around our wrists and our ankles. Not only does he break them, he then yokes us to himself. He yokes us together with him. And when he yokes us together with him, that's where we get to witness the power of God through the Holy Spirit fighting for us. God fighting on our behalf. You see, the thing about Jesus is he has power to free us from the legalistic law and bring us into a law, a law of liberty. And because he does that, my only response can be praise be to you, Jesus. Yes. Praise be to you. Hallelujah. Laustio. Praise be to God Almighty. Amen. And last, the thing about Jesus is he has absolute power over Satan. Did you notice in verse 10 how the unclean spirit, it, it, it begged Jesus not to send them out of the country. And when you do a good study on this reading, it, it reads as if they were praying. Demons praying. Dear God, don't kick us out of this country. They pray. Why didn't they want to leave the country? Because I told you, legions, what happens is, is they are, they want to complete the mission whether at all costs or until death hits them. So that's why they didn't want to leave the country. They wanted to die right there on that battlefield. Oh, Christian, thank God that his spirit is the one that fights for us because our nature is to flee when things get rough. We be running. I haven't seen you in community in a long time. Why? Well, knee deep in sin. I'm dipping. Thank you, God, for fighting our battles. See, Jesus gave the legion permission to die there. See, they begged him. They prayed to him, and he gave them permission to die. He gave them permission to enter into the, through the pigs. And I'm going to draw, come to a close right here. And I thought I was going to go for 40 minutes, but I didn't factor in how good the coffee is outside. <laughs> And when you drink that coffee, <laughs> something just happens, you know. And I was up here just probably just going super fast. So you guys have to go back to the podcast if you missed anything. But as I do draw to a close, I want to draw your attention to this wonderful picture given to us in this story that we just read. It's a picture of redemptive work, the redemptive work of Jesus for all mankind. And N.T. Wright was able to spot this Polaroid in this passage and bring it to my attention and so as I was taking his quote, I was thinking about how can I flip this? Because that's what I do, right? Ain't nothing new under the sun. So I was like, how can I flip this so I don't have to give him credit? You know what I mean? So I took this and I flipped it in my brain. I was like, okay, show me how. And then when I saw the image in this, in this passage about Jesus and his wonderful work, all it did was make me love Jesus all the more. So I'm hoping that when I share this story with you, that what I've seen, that it will do something in your heart about who the Savior is. So what I want you to do is I want you to consider the man in the tomb. Ponder, think about the man in the tomb. You know, the man that was screaming. The man that was running up and down mountains and running around the tomb. You got to understand, a tomb is a cemetery. It's a graveyard. He's running around dead people, guys. Consider him. Then he has chains and shackles, but he breaks through those, and he runs runs around. Think of that man. Think of him. Think of him. Think of him. There was a day when he was just living life regular. There was a day where he was just a regular dude. There was a day where he was a baby. There was a day where this dude was born and maybe his parents had joy or not. I don't know. But there was a day where he was just a person. Just going about his regular business. 
But then over time, something happened to him. A darkness grew in him. The darkness grew so much that his body was opened up. His body was opened up, and Satan and his minions were able to come in and possess this guy. Sin was able to trap him. Sin was able to trap him and keep him on the mountains and among the tombs and have him torment those around him with loud screams as they pass by. Consider him. Consider him, and then think about this. That's us. Chains and shackled by evils, by the evils of sin. That's us. Chained and shackled by the evils of sin. That's us. But Jesus came. Oh, Jesus came. There was a big storm that he had to go through to reach this man, but Jesus came for him. On the sea, there was a storm, and I'm sure when Jesus left his place in heaven to come to us, knowing he would eventually be separated from his father, there was a storm in his heart that would lead him one day to the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating out blood. Consider the man in the tomb, guys. Consider him. That's us. He had chains and shackles subduing him. The forces of darkness was so deep on this man that it had him cut himself. It had him bruise himself. This man wanted to destroy himself because of the evil all around him. Look at our Savior. Our Savior came to this man, and our Savior took the chains of darkness away from this man. Not only did he take the chains of darkness away from this man, but he took the chains of darkness away and placed them on himself. Oh, our Savior was whipped and beaten. Our Savior was bruised. He was bruised. He took the shackles of darkness from this man. Not only did he take the shackles of darkness from this man, but he took them and he placed them on himself. As the nails pierced his feet and it pierced his hands. The man in the tomb was definitely cut. His body was bruised. But our Savior's body was broken. It was broken. Jesus bore this man's sin on the cross, and he took our sin, and he bore it on the cross. And so now we see that the only thing that was truly able to free this man and to free us is Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Jesus told darkness to depart, and it left. And when darkness left, this man had life. I hope you see that. This man was touched by the hand of God. And now, the man that was on the mountains and in the tombs, he's a testimony to God's glorious grace. Oh, I hope you see that. That's the work of our Savior. That is how Jesus saves. Oh, will you be saved this morning? Be saved this morning. Will you allow Jesus to take your chains, take your shackles, and take your darkness and free you? Free you to live life, true life. That's only found in him, and thus making you a testimony of his glorious grace. Let's pray. Father, what a wonderful thing it is to be marked by your grace, to be a living testimony of your wonderful power through the work of your son, Jesus. Father, I pray for those in this room who may be still spiritually walking amongst the tombs and hiking up the mountains of death. I pray for them right now. I pray, God, that you will heal them. I pray, God, that you will free them. Save them right now by the power of your spirit. I pray, Father, may your son be made known today. And may his work of imputing salvation to his chosen happen right now in this place.
Thank you, Father, for once again breaking our chains and breaking our shackles and linking us to yourself. Thank you for fighting our battles for us and leading us through this life, this life that can bring a lot of turmoil and pain. But because we are in you, we experience joy, complete joy. Father, we love you for all that you are. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.